Welcome, everyone, to the Thursday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I decided not to use the numbers anymore. I'll, I'll probably do it on like big occasions, like the fifth podcast or the tenth podcast. But on Thursday's edition, the fourth one is not that exciting. So it's the Thursday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I, of course, am your host, Tyler Crawley. And as I mentioned, we are on Spotify. We're not on Apple or Google yet, but we will be. And when we are there, we are going to let you know. So, yes, we are going to be talking about the inflation numbers. Everyone was talking about that yesterday, the inflation numbers. We're going to get to it. But I do want to start with some good news, which is the Colonial Pipeline has been reopened. And so it looks like, well, everyone went out and depleted the supplies of all their gas stations for no real reason. That's basically where we are. I don't even know if there's going to be a disruption, to be honest with you. But we heard uh, last night. At the pipeline back open, or it's going to start uh, working again. How long that's going to take, and when are these gas stations going to be or get their supply back? I don't know. Um, I, I've seen some of the crazy numbers. Georgia, North Carolina, some other southern states have seen seventy percent of their gas stations depleted. So, where we go from here, I'm not entirely sure how long that's going to take to replenish. I don't know, but the fact that it what was it five days the pipeline was down. That, that's like a hurricane, if not less than a hurricane. And yet we've depleted gas stations all over the southeast. So hopefully that gas gets back and we get back to normal very, very quickly. Now, I do want to start by talking about a piece in the Wall Street Journal yesterday morning that I would have thought would have got more attention because it is precisely and it showed precisely what policymakers, people in Washington, people in state capitals are always worried about. And that is how do we help people at the lower income levels? Because you know we hear about housing, oh my gosh, all these houses are doing great. But what about people that are in less valuable homes? How do we help those people? Well, it looks like the market has solved that problem. And yet you didn't hear anything about it. Why? Probably because they don't want their bills to get squashed on the floor of either the House or Senate, wherever they may be. So they want to act like this doesn't exist. But what what the Wall Street Journal reported yesterday was that the cheapest homes were seeing the most appreciation. The Wall Street Journal reported that zip codes where the median home cost less than $100,000 in early 2018 since then. So we are talking three years have seen those home prices rise 42%. That's a pretty good return on your investment. We have not seen that in any other areas. For example, that is about double the rise of zip codes where the median home price is between 150 and 200,000 and triple the rise of locales with 300,000 plus price tags. So this is what we've this is what policymakers are always discussing. How do we help lower income individuals? Because those are the homes, people, you know, people that are buying homes under hundred thousand dollars, they're always the ones getting left behind. How do we help them? We gotta pass this law, we gotta pass this bill. And it turns out the market took care of it. And we didn't hear anything about it. Like I said, probably because they've been working on these bills so long, they want to pretend like, nope, nope, that problem wasn't solved. We gotta do something else. But the market took care of it. And it makes sense, right? I mean, it it makes sense because what's happening is that people who maybe were looking at homes that were about $150,000, those homes are now selling at 200,000. 
and so they now can't buy those homes anymore. So now they have to buy a home that's at $150,000, which may have been a home that was at $100,000 three years ago. And so the that's what's inevitably going to happen. In homes that are in places that were at $50,000, people that were at $100,000 are now looking at those homes. That's how the market works. That's how it always works. Why people won't let the market work, I don't know. I guess it's sort of like, I guess, you know, if if you don't have to do your job. So if you're a policymaker and you realize the market is actually going to take care of all of this stuff, you're worried you're going to get voted out of office because people are like, well, why do we have, why why does your position even exist if the market is just going to take care of those problems? So maybe that's one of the reasons why, but I just thought it was a pretty amazing story because we're always hearing about how we help these, these dilapidated neighborhoods. How do we help these neighborhoods that have been stagnated? Here we go. The the market took care of it, and you didn't really hear that much about it. Like I said, it was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, but other than that, you just didn't hear a lot of news. Now, of course, the inflation data that came out uh, pretty early in the morning may have kind of taken away some of the thunder from this report, but I also probably think a lot of, like I said, policymakers and those who are always acting as if that's those are the groups they're going to help you got to elect me because i'm going to help the people who are in those dilapidated neighborhoods they don't want the solution to just be oh well the market already took care of it but they it did it did it took care of it as it normally will do if you let the markets work and speaking of the markets working that's why we have inflation so as you know i think we talked about this on monday's podcast uh inflation the the debate has shifted from is inflation happening or is it going to happen? Everyone sort of realized, yeah, it's happening to now. Well, is it going to be permanent or is it going to be temporary? And a lot of people who, let's face it, people that want to spend a lot of money, people that want to keep interest rates low, which means politicians that are in power, they're going to sell this argument that, ah, this is transitory, this is not going to last long. Don't worry. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't be scared of this new number. Everything's going to work out. And so the number was big. I mean, it surprised a lot of people. It was two, three times as large as we thought it was going to be. Uh, for those that didn't see the number, the all items index, the CPI data came out from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and it showed a 4.2% jump year over year, a 0.8% jump just month over month. This was the largest 12-month increase since September 2008 for the all-item index. But even more shocking was the core CPI rose 0.9% month over month. That's almost 1%, which was the largest increase since April 1982. So we've been living in an environment for a long time now where we're lucky if we get 2% year over year. That's the baseline that the Fed uses. So if we see anything even close to two, we're like, whoa, that was a crazy month. So we're seeing something that's double that caught a lot of people's attention. There's no doubt about that. Uh, What was kind of fascinating was the items where we did see some big jumps. For example, the item that everyone was talking about, and they actually saw some jokes on Twitter. I think uh, Logan Dobson, who's a Republican strategist, joked that the uh, new inflation hedge wasn't Bitcoin. It wasn't gold. It wasn't lumber. It was uh, a 2017 Toyota Camry because used cars and trunks saw a 10 percent 
month over month increase. I'm not talking 10% on an annual basis, 10% from March to April. It was the largest one month increase since they began tracking this data in 1953. Now there's a reason for that. A lot of it's because new cars are not being manufactured as fast as normal. We're having some semiconductor issues. And so people are running to the uh, used car market. And so that that's obviously causing some disruptions there. But that is a crazy, crazy big number. And we're, you know, we're talking about gasoline. I mentioned gasoline prices are up because of this uh, basically man-made shortage. There's looks like there's not even going to be a shortage. It was just completely fabricated by the media. Everyone bought it hook, line, and sinker. And so gas prices have shot up. But gasoline for the month of April was actually down 1.4% for the month. But overall, it's still up 49.6% for the year. And energy price is kind of similar. We're actually down for the month 0.1%, but we're still up uh, year over year 25.1%. Now, other mention, or I should say mentionable climbs, uh, besides, of course, used cars at 10%. Transportation services uh, uh, for for the month were up 2.9%. Medical care commodities were up 0.6%. New vehicles, which I mentioned. 0.5% and food and shelter were at number five uh, together at 0.4%. So as I mentioned, the big question, is this permanent or is this temporary? Transitory, as I'd like to say in economics. That was the key word yesterday. I saw it all over CNBC and Bloomberg. Transitory. Is this transitory? Transitory. And I don't know. Um, As I mentioned, the Fed wasn't necessarily shocked by this. Um, There was maybe some surprise. For example, it was reported that the Fed vice chairman, Richard Clarita, expressed surprise at the pace of the increase, but he did reiterate that he expected the price jump to be temporary and for inflation to return or perhaps run somewhat above their 2% long run goal in 2022 and 2023. So the Fed's still sticking with this. And, and, And I do think that you shouldn't just take one month and say, oh my gosh, this is proof of something, right? You don't do that with anything. I don't care what the numbers are, inflation, whatever they are. You never just want to look at one data point and say, oh my gosh, especially when you're talking about year over year gains, because let's not forget that when you're comparing April data, we're comparing April 2021 to April 2020. April 2020, we had gone full in with regard to the lockdowns across the country. And so a lot of people were talking about this. uh, They refer to it as base effects, which is what is the base number that you're using for your comparison? And that base is April 2020. Prices were down for the most part in April 2020. So you're going to see big numbers. Once again, not as big as they thought. I mean, or I should say they're way bigger than they thought, but it's still, we have to see what's going to happen over the next couple of months. If we're seeing this 4% number hold for the next couple of months, the Fed is undoubtedly going to have to adjust their policy going forward. So the Fed is convinced it's transitory. They're not concerned. The number may have been surprising, but they still think that this is a temporary situation caused by one, the economy reopening, you're going to see an explosion. And Greg Ipp had a piece, and there was a lot of good pieces in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. Greg Ipp had a piece in which he talked about how if you look at a lot of the the big jumps, the, the used cars, airlines, gas, these are all things that when the economy reopens, people start, they weren't using before, now they're using. 
And so that's why you're going to see that jump. And so I do think that you need to take a very cautious approach, a careful approach and say, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens in the next couple of months. Like I said, if we have three months, you know, if, if, if in July and August, we're still seeing that 4% or more annual appreciation, I think the Fed's going to have to to realize that that something has happened. But if those numbers start to decline, then we'll realize, okay, then we are sort of on that path that they had projected. Now, James McIntosh over at the Journal argued that everything is screaming inflation and investors are woefully unprepared for what may be a once in a generation shift in the market. He had a good piece. I think it was last week in the Journal, and he pointed to a lot of sort of structural issues that are changing in our economy. He talked about the fact that, you know, we're, we're looking at what's happening with regards to, you know, jobs and wages. People are demanding higher wages. They're getting money on unemployment. Is that going to force higher wages, which of course, of course, will cause prices to go up? He talked about demographic shifts. You have a lot more older people than, than younger people, which means you have people leaving the workforce. That's going to, that's going to, have an impact on um, you know productivity. He looked at um, there's there's a lot. I, I I don't have the article in front of me, but there was about four or five structural issues that he pointed to that said that things are happening in our economy that we just haven't seen in the last thirty years, and that maybe the Fed is unprepared for and investors are unprepared for just structural changes. And so we're gonna have to watch these numbers over the next couple of months and see exactly what that means going forward because like i said this one month could just be a fluke it could be a base effect as everyone was talking about or it could be a sign that we are seeing those structural changes that mcintosh pointed to but we're it's a wait and see it's a cautious wait and see so i don't think you'd be wrong to make either argument right now but it's also not a bad idea to hedge regardless of which decision you decide to go with now speaking of structural changes there was a structural change with regards to household debt. So we did get some uh, household debt data came out from the New York Fed, their uh, quarterly report on household debt and credit and household debt increased in the first quarter. But don't panic. A lot of people are going to go, oh, no, people are spending more money. This credit, they're, 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 they're going in debt. This is a bad thing. Not necessarily, because as we all know, it depends on what kind of debt you have, right? Having a mortgage is a lot different than having credit card debt. Very, very different. And here's the good news. This household debt was led by securitized debt, which is very different than other kind of debt that's out there. For example, mortgage debt jumped $117 billion, 1.2% to 10 trillion. Auto loans increased by 8 billion to 1.38 trillion. And student debt contributed 29 billion, which put total household debt at 14.64 trillion, a 0.6% increase in Q1 2021. Now, the reason that I think this is a good thing is because if you look at the data, once again, the debt that they're buying, we're talking about debt that's secured to an asset. You know, having a mortgage is a lot better than having a unsecured credit card debt. And here's the real benefit, is that two days ago, it was reported that credit card debt is down significantly from the same time last year. In fact, it's down 14.5% compared to the same time last year. So Americans are paying down unsecured high interest debt. I mean, right, because a credit card, 
maybe you have an introductory rate at a, at a at zero, but most people are paying what 15, 20, 25%, whatever their, whatever their deal is with their credit card. It's a lot. It's double digits. No doubt about that. So they've paid that down and instead they're taking out auto loans, mortgage and student loans, which are all significantly lower interest rates and it's secured. It's tied to something. It's tied to an asset. It's tied to a house. It's tied to a car. Now, listen, obviously having a, a mortgage is better than an auto loan because a, a automobile is a depreciating asset versus a house, which if you've looked at the numbers that we talk about here on this podcast is a appreciating asset. And in fact, one of the most appreciating assets that you can, you can have right now. So this I look at is actually a good development. Sure. You never want to see household debt go up, but the fact that people are paying off their credit cards and are then turning around and borrowing money, for something that is secured to an asset, that's a lot better. Even if it's a degree, I understand a degree is not transferable like a house or a car, I get that, but it's it, it's providing value to the person that's getting it. They're now more valuable in the workplace. And as we mentioned, that's one of the big concerns about this new economy, Are is there a skills gap? Are there people who just don't have the skills and so going and, and taking out a loan to go to school to get those skills is a good investment at the current moment. So I think that a lot of people, maybe when they see that, oh no, household debt jumped, automatically think it's bad. But when you look at what's happening with credit card debt, down almost 15% year over year, and instead people are getting secured debt, I think that makes a lot more sense. I think that's a much better move. All right, we're out of time. You guys enjoy your Thursday. We'll be back here Friday for our fifth episode we'll make it one entire week uh, as i said we are on spotify we're not on apple Podcasts or google Podcasts yet i'll let you know when we get there so you can leave an awesome five star review but as i mentioned you guys enjoy your thursday we'll see you here friday morning and remember don't wait to buy real estate you buy real estate and wait <laughs>